It's good to see you, uh, Redeemer. It's good to be, good morning, good to be with you. I don't know about, uh, I don't know about y'all, um, but I, I want to, to live a life uh, that, of meaning, right? a life that counts for something. Uh, when you think about people who lived meaningful lives, people who've lived lives of purpose, uh, it's hard to come up with someone who God used as greatly as the Apostle Paul, right? Uh, the, the Apostle Paul planted churches across the known world, right? When you can say, like Paul does at the end of Romans, uh, I, I, have, I have no more room for work, Right, I, I, I uh, you know, I've proclaimed the gospel fully in an area spanning from modern-day Israel to Syria to Turkey to Greece. Right, <laughs> uh, you, you've done some good kingdom work. You know, I think if you can go like, yeah, there's no more room in all these countries for me to work. Uh, you've made a splash, I think, when you've written most of the books in the New Testament. Right, I think you can say, you know, my life had some purpose. My life mattered. Um, and he's a, he's a giant, obviously, uh, someone who's untouchable in his importance and his scope of ministry and how the Lord used him. And we're thankful for him. But talk about like a meaningful life, right? And, and since he did, uh, since Paul did write so much of the New Testament, including uh, the book that we're walking through in the series, the book of Philippians, we're fortunate to get a glimpse, I think, into his mind and especially this morning into his prayers, how the Apostle Paul prayed. Uh, and, and Paul's prayers, I think we would have to agree, were a huge part of his, his success, right? Don't you think they, uh, they were part of, uh, of his success in, in ministry and how the Lord used him? And if there's one guy besides Jesus who I would love to pray like, man, I think it would be Paul. I think it'd be Paul. And so today, let, let's learn from the Apostle Paul about prayer, right, on prayer. How did he pray? And what does that teach us about how, how to pray? Um, we're going to ask three questions of this passage uh, to guide our time. Uh, one, how does Paul pray? Two, why does Paul pray? And three, what does Paul pray for? So how, why, and what? Uh, let, let's pray once more, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into the passage. Father, uh, thank you so much, uh, again, for just bringing us here. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you that we get to, to sit under it today, that we get to submit to you um, and hear what you have to say. Would you uh, remove all barriers in our minds um, to, to hearing what you, would, what you would call us to, what you would, how you would want to encourage us, to challenge us, to convict us, to, uh, to rebuke us. Whatever you'd like to do, uh, would we be open to it? I pray that the enemy would not be able to, uh, to distract us today. Um, we would not be able to block any, anything that you would want to say or anything you'd want to do in our hearts. Um, and, and so, uh, Lord, please speak to us uh, by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. First, how does Paul pray? How does Paul pray? This is verse three. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Three ways, I think, that Paul prays. Um, the first is that Paul prays joyfully. He says, always praying with joy. You, you get the idea that Paul's prayers weren't solemn, boring, monotone, just droning on. You know, I think some people just think prayers have to be serious, <laughs> right? Uh, if you grew up in church, you know about this. You're like, oh man, this is gonna be a long one. You know, you can kind of gear up for, for certain, certain prayers. Um, but Paul, as he remembers them, his joy just overflows in prayer, right? Do, do you ever laugh when you're praying? Or do you ever crack a smile in prayer? Are, are, are we praying joyfully? It's a good question. Second, 
Uh, he prays regularly. He prays regularly, right? Every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. He, he, he's, you know, uh, piling these up. And I confess that sometimes I'll say I'm praying for you and then I'll forget, you know? I'm, a, I'm the only, man, y'all are so much better than me. Uh, I'm gonna become better. I'll, I'll get better at it, right? But th- this is why I try to pray when I, right when I get, I'm there. I'm like, hey, can I pray for you right now? Because I don't wanna forget. I wanna pray for you. Um, and, and you just can't read this and think that Paul was that way, right? I'm always praying for you, every prayer. He's, he's praying constantly. He's praying all the time for this church. Third, he prays thankfully. Paul prays thankfully. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. I'm always thanking God for you. He's thankful for the church as he remembers them. I mean, especially as he remembers their partnership in the gospel. From the very first, we'll continue to see this in Philippians. From the very first, this church has supported and helped Paul. Uh, they've, they've sent him, uh, they've sent Epaphroditus to him. They've sent him gifts. They've sent him money uh, in, his, in his imprisonment. And they've stood faithfully for the gospel in Philippi. And so Paul is just so thankful as he thinks about them. Um, I think it's easy to skip over thankfulness as, as kind of a fluffy introductory comment. You know, like, like Paul's just like, oh yeah, I'm thankful for you. But then I get on to the real stuff. But that, it's not that. It's not that. Paul stresses thankfulness over and over and over in, in his letters. Thankfulness is, is in some ways the foundation of the Christian life because it's the first response to grace. Right, it's the first. It's it's in some ways ungratefulness is the root of sin. Right in Romans one, Paul says, "Though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened." So not to not to give thanks to God for all He's done. Um, that's that leads to all kinds of sin. And Paul here is especially thankful for the church. He's especially thankful for the church. And I wonder. Are, are you thankful for our church? Maybe that's a self-serving question. <laughs> Hope not. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this great passage in his little book called Life Together, which is on Christian community. Um, Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor in, uh, who was executed by the Nazis in World War II. Uh, and I've quoted this before, I believe, and I'm going to quote it again, I'm sure, because it's such a great passage. But he talks about thankfulness in the Christian community. Here's what he says. In the Christian community, thankfulness is just what it is anywhere else in the Christian life. Only he who gives thanks for little things receives the big things. We prevent God from giving us the great spiritual gifts he has in store for us because we do not give thanks for daily gifts. We think we dare not be satisfied with the small measure of spiritual knowledge, experience, and love that has been given to us and that we must constantly be looking forward eagerly for the highest good. Then we deplore the fact that we lack the deep certainty, the strong faith, and the rich experience that God has given to others, and we consider this lament to be pious. We pray for the big things and forget to give thanks for the ordinary, small, and yet really not small gifts. How can God entrust great things to one who will not thankfully receive from him the little things? If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there's no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, If, on the contrary, we only keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. 
I wonder if you're thankful for our community. The real one, the actual people with all their actual problems and sins and fears and faults. The people sitting next to you in the chair right now. Do, do we hinder our community growing into all that God has for us by, by not thanking him for the little things, for, for the things that we have? Paul prays joyfully, regularly, and thankfully for this church. And in case you think, sure, okay, I see Paul does that, but what is it? You know, he's an apostle. What does that mean? That I, like, I, why do I, does that mean I, that's how I have to pray? Uh, and if you say that, I would just point you to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, which is one of my favorite little verses. It says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is my favorite verse when people say they don't know what God's will for them is. I say, I actually do. <laughs> and that's a joke, but it's serious. This is where you start, right? You can always start here. And this is our call. We're called to pray joyfully, to rejoice, to, to pray constantly, and to give thanks in all things. Why does Paul pray? Second, why does he pray? I think we see two reasons in this passage that Paul prays. The first reason uh, is, is in verse six. I'm sure of this. He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He, he prays first because he's confident Okay, he's confident. I'm sure of this. Paul's joyful. He's moved to pray often for this church with gratitude because he's sure of something. Now, he, he's seen them. He's seen them be faithful. They have partnered with him in the gospel. They have loved him well. And he, he mentions those things. He'll continue to mention them in the letter. Uh, they aren't insignificant. Much of the warmth and love and passion that, that Paul shows comes from this deep partnership and connection that they have. Uh, but that's not the foundation of his confidence. That's not the foundation of his confidence. The foundation is here. I'm sure of this, he says, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's confidence is in the faithfulness of God to complete what he started. When the, when the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe the gospel by the river in Philippi, when the Lord through Paul uh, cured the demon-possessed girl and Paul and Silas got thrown into prison for that, and when the Lord sent the earthquake that opened the prison doors and used that experience to open the heart of the Roman centurion and his family and to start the, the, the church at Philippi, like God started the work there. God planted that church. And it was his power, his grace, his spirit at work. And it was his power, his grace, and his spirit that would carry that work to completion until the day of Christ, until the return of Christ himself. Brother, sister, who began a good work in your life? If you love the Lord Jesus, that was the Holy Spirit working in power in your heart. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, made you alive in Christ. You've been saved by grace. And he who began that good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's, that's so comforting, <laughs> right? That's so, what, what a confidence we can have. And not only that, but he who began a good work in your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your spouse, your child, your friend, your pastor, your coworker, your neighbor, the one who began a good work in our church will also bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we pray. And so we pray. Notice this, this confidence doesn't lead Paul to complacency. It leads him to prayer. He's not like, uh, this works, God, God's gonna complete this work, so I'm off the hook. No, he says, God's gonna complete this work, and so this is how I pray for you, right? Leads him to pray, leads him into prayer. This is the Bible logic, right? We'll continue to see this in Philippians. This is how I pray for you, because I'm confident that God is gonna complete what he started. The second reason Paul prays for this church is found in verse seven. Seven and eight. Indeed, it's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He prays for this church because he loves them deeply. He loves them deeply. We talked about this last week. The commentators talk about how hard it is to translate this, this little section because Paul's passion just leads him to pile up phrases and terms in a sort of technically incoherent way, right? Uh, it's like his emotions are getting the best of his grammar at this part. Uh, I have you in my heart. I deeply miss all of you. He even says, with the, with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love you so much. I have the heart of Jesus himself for you. I feel like Jesus does for you. And that, which seems like a heretical thing to say. How can you say that? But it, but it isn't heretical. Right? In fact, it's a goal. This is a goal of discipleship, right? That we would so live in Christ that he would love people through us. That we would, like chapter two is gonna say, we would have the mind, have the same mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We would share the mind of Christ and love others as he has loved us. Do, do you love your church family? And I don't mean a general kind of nice feeling toward others. Like, yeah, I'm a loving person. I mean, a deep desire and willingness to sacrifice for the good of others in our church family. So many of you do. <laughs> I know that. I've experienced that. But, but brothers and sisters, we are, we are bad at this in our modern Western individualistic culture. All right, we love a lot of things. We love our comfort. We love our stuff. We love our property. We love our family. We love our privacy. We love our freedom. We love Netflix. <laughs> but do we love those blood-bought children of God that God has given us to live in community with? And here's a test. Does our love lead, lead us to pray for them like Paul prayed for the Philippians. Bonhoeffer, again, uh, from Life Together. This brings us to a, a point at which we hear the pulsing heart of all Christian life in unison. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. 
Intercession is a daily service we owe to God and our brother. He who denies his neighbor the service of praying for him denies him the service of a Christian. Over the past few months, I've seen a little spark of prayer in our church family that hasn't been there. And I've also seen God working in amazing ways, right? Saving people, growing our church family, drawing us together in fellowship, meeting us in worship, speaking through his words, working in our groups. Like God's been moving and doing things and praise his name for that. Right? And, and if, if he never did anything else, it's more than we deserved. Right? <laughs> this is, he's amazing that he would use this, that he would work in us as he has. But, but I can't help but wonder what would happen if that spark grew into a flame. If more than just the small but mighty groups of three or four gathered regularly to pray. Like what if we all did? What if our families were gathering regularly? What if our groups were gathering regularly? What if our, all kinds of communities, all kinds of people were calling each other to pray? What might God do in response? Are, are we willing to follow the call of God in prayer for each other? And I'm not trying to be pushy. I don't know what that means. Like you ask God, what does God want you to do in prayer? I don't know. But, but let's seek his face. Let's follow him. Let's see what that is. Paul's confidence in the faithfulness of God and his deep love for this church compel him to pray. That's why he does it. Third, third, what does Paul pray? What does Paul pray? We actually have the content here of, of his prayer. We have, we have what, he, what he prays. Uh, and this, I think the great practical application of this is if someone asks you to pray for them, you know, text you, hey, would you pray for this? Just text them a prayer back. So Paul did, he wrote it down, right? That's not weird. It's biblical, right? Uh, just do it. Verse nine, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and be, may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me point out what this isn't and then what it is. Um, it's, it's not a prayer that they would be safe or comfortable. Right, they lived at a time where it was dangerous to be a Christian, but it's not a prayer that they'd be safe. It's not a prayer that, that they would be healthy or wealthy. It's not a prayer even that they would be happy. It's not a prayer, you know, for, for Aunt Glenda's sore back. Which I think, I think often our prayer request is like, okay, well, who, you got any prayer requests? Yeah, I got an aunt in Minnesota and, you know, her, her foot's really hurting. You know, it's like, okay. Anything closer to home uh, that we could, you know, pray for you? Uh, now, again, those prayers aren't wrong, right? You're like, you, we should pray for Aunt Glenda. Well, we should. You're right. Um, I'm sorry if your name's Glenda. This is not, a, this is not anything personal. Um, but, but that's not what this prayer is, right? Just notice that we, we are to pray for those things. We're to pray for our daily needs. We're to pray, but, but that, that's not what this prayer is, right? Um, so often I think our prayers are, are reactive. They're, they're reacting to circumstances. Notice though, this is a proactive prayer. This is a, pro, a proactive, it's, it's, it's asking for something, not, not just in response to something that's happened, some, some change of circumstance, but this is what we're going for. And, and I think it's profound. I think this is the kind of prayer we need to be praying for each other all the time. So let's, let's examine it. It says, I pray that your love would, would 
grow, keep on growing. Right, so pray that their love would grow more and more. And, and you and every Christian you know needs this prayer. We all need this. We are all in process. We're all growing in Christ, growing in love. If you're like, yeah, I pretty much love as much as I possibly could. <laughs> no, you're not. Like, I don't believe you. Right? We, we, we need our love, don't we, to expand beyond what it is. And how? How? It says that your love would, would keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Right? This isn't squishy, sentimental love. Um, this isn't what the world sometimes call, calls love, which is endorsing anyone doing anything they choose to do. No, that's not love. We all know that's not love. This is loving according to knowledge, according to truth. Right? The Bible, of course, shows us the truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It says growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So it's not just knowledge, not just knowing in our heads what's true. It's, it's putting it into practice. It's how do, we, how do we be wise in how we actually do these things? How do we take what is true, evaluate each person and situation, and learn to love truly and intelligently? That's what he's praying for. Why? Why? So that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We should pray that our knowledge and our, our love and our discernment would grow so that we know what to do and how to honor God with our lives. Right? The world is a broken and beautiful and complex place full of broken and beautiful and complex people. And we need to be able to approve the things that are superior, to, to know what the best way is, know what the best things are, um, so, so that we can do and think and play and plan and dream and act in the good and the beautiful and the true ways that please God. Our faith works out in our lives, and our lives should be filled with the fruit of righteousness, with good fruit. And this good fruit, it says, comes through Jesus Christ. It's all him working in us, working through us, his power, his spirit, his love. And it's all to the glory and the praise of God. It all makes God look awesome. Is, is this how we pray for each other? Is it? Man, I'm, I was convicted by this this week. <laughs> My prayers look so far from this. I need to, like, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach us to pray, like the disciples said. Imagine, your, just imagine yourself praying this exact prayer, right? Like, I'm praying for Andrew right here. Like, Lord, I pray for Andrew, that his love would keep on growing in knowledge and all discernment, that Andrew would be able to prove the things that are superior and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That would be a good prayer, <laughs> right? Why, why don't we? Why don't we pray this way? I'll give you one reason. There's, there's probably many. Paul mentions this twice in, in the passage. Uh, he mentions twice the day of Christ, right? The day of Christ, the day of Jesus Christ. Paul sees the world through the Spirit in, in a real way that I think we often miss, 
right? The, the, the looming fact for the Apostle Paul, and again, this is a guy who is, you know, lived one of the single most influential and meaningful lives of anyone in history. The looming fact for him was the day of Christ's return. We'll continue to see this in Philippians. There is a day coming in history, the history of this world, where Jesus Christ will come back in the body and will judge the living and the dead. Paul met and spoke with the risen Lord Jesus. Okay, so he had an advantage. I think he felt it more keenly than most. But by faith, I think we too can realize our true position. Right? Our Savior Jesus came and he lived a real human life and he died on the cross and he was buried and he rose from the dead. And before he ascended to heaven, he said, I'm gonna return. And then he left. And there's every reason to believe him. My prayers are mostly reactive, like reactionary, that that temporary earthly situations would change, pain would stop, cancer would be healed, situations would improve. Again, we should pray all these things, like we're called and taught to pray these things. But but if that's all of our prayers, and if that's most of your prayer too, isn't that pointing to the fact that maybe we, we don't have a biblical view of reality? Maybe we're forgetting something. How do, we, how do we forget this? How is the coming day of the Lord not for us the looming fact that flavors all of our prayers for each other, all of our merriment, all of our work, all of our conscious existence? It's, it's a, it's a you know, nifty trick of the enemy to, that, that we, we walk around oblivious to the day of Christ that's coming. How do I pray for my kids in light of the day of Christ? How do I pray for my spouse? How do I pray for my pastors? How do I pray for my life group? How do I pray for my coworkers in light of the day of Christ Jesus? If you aren't a Christian in here, um, then, you know, cards on the table. In a minute, I'm gonna invite you to become one. I want you to become one. Um, you may, I hope you assumed that being in a, in a church service. Um, but I want you to because a day of reckoning is coming. But, but for right now, would you like to try a prayer? Right? It might take courage. Would you simply say in your heart, right? you don't have to say it out loud, God can, he can hear your mind, right? Uh, you can say in your heart as honestly as you can, Jesus, if you're real, please show me. I just think he'll answer that. Brothers and sisters in here, will we give ourselves in earnest to prayer? Will the day of Christ fill our hearts with urgency? Will the need for love, for wisdom, for power drive us to our knees? Will we love each other enough to persevere in prayer for one another? Will fire fall from heaven on us as we pray? As the band comes up, uh, let, let's pray now. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you know that we need your help. <laughs> we are so inadequate, we're so distracted. We are, we are, uh, captured by many cares. 
And so would you draw us to yourself now? Would you speak to our hearts by your spirit? Would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to to depend on you? Lord, we don't want to do, we don't even want to do your work. We don't even want to do good things, but not in your way. We don't want to do good things in our own power. Lord, we need you. We need your strength. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who doesn't know you, that you would pour your love into their hearts right now in a way that they can't deny. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.